Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And today, on today's show, we are going to talk about what the whole church knows from Scripture. We confess it in the second article of the Creed, which says, From the right hand of God the Father, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. It's a good day to talk about Judgment Day. And we're not just being strangers holding up cardboard signs on the side of the road trying to, trying to you know, scare you. We're talking about truth, a truth that we confess. And to do that, we have a great cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians here to do that. We have Pastor Meridemski, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself as host, Pastor Sean Smith. Welcome, brothers. Well, hello. Glad to be here. All right. So you guys ready to talk about Judgment Day? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. And, like, when does that thousand years start and all that kind of stuff? You know, because... <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, all right. we'll get that, to the question. <laughs> we're already in the thousand years, but that's a we'll save that whole yeah, part. Yeah. Indeed. There there's a lot to discuss with this with this subject, really. I mean, there's a lot of ideas and notions out there and things like that. And so we definitely are going to get to that today. Uh to set us up, however, um this is actually a, a short article in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which we continue to work through as it is itself. It's also a short article in the Augsburg Confession, and we're going to hit both of them so that way we can kind of set up what we're talking about. But we're using this opportunity to talk about, well, why would we even include it if, if it's so short and uh, it, it's not, you know, disputed by the Roman Catholic Church or anything either? Um, and so, you know, why why are we including it? Why is it here? Well, it's to confess to say again what scripture clearly teaches on this because the church clearly teaches this and so that's the kind of the front and center of it so before we get into discussion of it i'm going to go ahead and read both from the apology actually i'm going to do something a little crazy we've not done this on this show before this is a first we're going to read the augsburg confession then the confutation, which is the Roman Catholic response to it, and then the apology. So we're going to get all three uh, heavy duty here. We've never done this on this show before. And this then we'll is... get a whole seven minutes to talk about it. This is going to be great. Yeah, well, but they're all three short, so we can do this. Oh, yeah. It's they're, okay. They're a paragraph yeah. a piece. It's okay. Did okay. you read these in preparation for the show today? I thought about them. Uh, no, I'm I just mean, kidding. I did. I did. This <laughs> is like back in school with you here. All right. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and do that then. So Article 17 of the Augsburg Confession of Christ's Return for Judgment, it says this. Our churches teach that at the end of the world, Christ will appear for judgment and will raise all the dead, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 2. He will give the godly and elect eternal life and everlasting joys, but he will condemn ungodly people and the devils to be tormented without end, as it says in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists who think that there will be an end to the punishments of condemned men and devils. 
Our churches also condemn those who are spreading certain Jewish opinions that before the resurrection of the dead, the godly shall take possession of the kingdom of the world, the ungodly being everywhere suppressed. And then the Roman Confutation says this. This is the response by the Roman Catholic theologians to the Augsburg Confession that was presented there at the Diet of Augsburg. And they say this. The confession of the 17th article is received since from the Apostles' Creed and the Holy Scripture, the entire Catholic Church, that being the universal church, Catholic uh, being a small c, they're universal, knows that Christ will come at the last day to judge the quick and the dead. Therefore, they justly condemn here the Anabaptists who think there will be an end of punishments to condemn men and devils and imagine certain Jewish kingdoms of the godly before the resurrection of the dead in this present world the wicked being everywhere suppressed. And then we get to Article 17 and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which says this. The adversaries accept Article 17 without qualification. In it, we confess that Christ will appear at the consummation of the world. He will raise up all the dead and will give eternal life and eternal joys to the godly, as it says in 2 Timothy 4.8. But he will condemn the ungodly to endless punishment with the devil, as it says in Matthew 25, 46. So there we have it. Augsburg Confession, Confutation, yep, we agree with this. And then the apology, the defense of that Augsburg Confession saying, it's good that they agree with us because this is what the Catholic Church, the Universal Church, confesses. All right, so since we've laid all of this out here, I guess my first question then uh, for, for you brothers is, if this isn't a disputed issue, why is it included here? Why did the confessors, Melanchthon, uh, the urging of Luther, and the other Lutheran confessors, the princes that presented the Augsburg Confession, why is this included in the Augsburg Confession and then also the Apology? Well, I would say that it is a confute a sorry, a confused issue and a challenged issue, just not in the official writings. But going back to even the three and four hundreds uh, up through the Reformation and until today, there are still quite a few misunderstandings about Jesus' return. Uh, some of these are things that we've kind of uh, commented on before, talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ and how exactly that will come to pass and what that will look like. There are also others who will talk about how when Christ returns, all people will be raised. Um, or they might say all Christians will be raised, but then non-Christians will simply cease to exist and they'll go away. But this is something that over the last 1700 years of church history has been a really big deal and there's been a lot of confusion about. And so it's really important that we speak often and clearly about Christ's return. So let me clarify there because I may have zoned out for a second. Sorry if I did. Um, you, you said that there is some confusion. I agree with this. Um, what, were you making the point that there is actually confusion between us and the Roman Catholics, even oh. though we say we agree? Because we've talked about this on the show before, where it's like, yeah, we say we agree, but really, if you work out the finer details, there's actually big differences here. Um or were you talking about there was confusion in the church, namely by other reformers? And so we're, we're simply affirming, yeah, we're reformers, but we're not with them. The, the second, right. The second, yeah. okay. Um, and, and I do think it's helpful and important to note that going back to uh, 
even to origin in the in the two hundreds, there were confusions. The church father, the, right. the church yeah. father origin in the two yeah. hundreds, uh, there were already confusions about Christ's return, um, and so this has been going on in the church for a long, long time. But in the official writings and um, and in truth, the position of the Lutheran Church and the Roman Catholic Church is the same. Uh, but there are Lutherans and Roman Catholics and and other folks who don't always follow the official position. And so it's important that we keep talking about these things like we do in the creed every week, like we do every time we get to review uh, the Augsburg Confession and the apology of the Augsburg Confession, every time we get to celebrate Advent. Yeah, and, and sometimes we even see this in our churches still today that, you know, our official theology, even within the Lutheran Church, you know, the things that we write and so forth, uh, that, that is where we stand on the basis of Scripture, our Lutheran confessions. But yet then sometimes you find some folks that kind of have some different ideas, and it's like, well, this is why we subscribe to the Lutheran confessions uh, and, and to Scripture, uh, because uh, that, that shows, hey, you're actually teaching something different, something stranger. And so it is the important task of the church to confess again with every generation and again and again that we continue to talk about these things, as you so wonderfully said, uh, so that we make sure that we stay on target with what is the truth that is being taught here. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is, I know we just covered one of the other articles that was in agreement, but we still got like four pages out of it in the apology, you know, and it was like, why do we have to write it there? Well, as Pastor Ill said, uh, you have people on the other side and it's trying to reaffirm that we're not on that side, but something that... Uh, uh, was said in the confutation was we're in agreement with the Catholic lower C universal church that this just kind of reaffirms the fact that this was all about trying to get back on the same page and find unity. Cause so oftentimes people will be like, Oh, Luther was just trying to scatter everything and, and split everything up and, and start his own thing. And it's like, no, this was all about trying to get back to scripture. And so in this one, you've got this opportunity to reaffirm, Hey, look, we agree here and we are both in agreement that we disagree with these things that are still floating around in the church, you know? And so, uh, just that picture of unity, because so oftentimes, uh, I can't remember, it was a couple times ago that we were talking about theology often being negative, like just often, uh, being, well, we don't believe this and we don't believe this and we don't believe this. And yet here we have the opportunity to reaffirm, yes, we believe this together and we are on the same page with this. Yeah. One of the things I really love about the formula of Concord is that they will have negative and positive statements, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we do believe this and we don't believe this, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and they get yeah. to start with the positive. Yeah. They start with yeah. what they do believe. Uh, sometimes I say, Lutherans might not know what they believe, but they know what they don't believe. Uh, but our Lutheran confessions have this beautiful pattern of saying, this is what we believe. And when we believe that, we want to make sure that you don't think we believe this. So we don't believe these other things over here. And, and I think this is a helpful point to make in connection with, with what we just said earlier, too, with what Pastor Hill laid out for us, too, that sometimes I think we forget, you know, that we think that something like the Augsburg Confession is just something we're writing against the Roman Catholics. But it's not really the case of it. It's just simply stating in the affirmative, this is what we believe. And even in the places where we have disagreement, we are showing that connection with the Catholic Church, the universal Christian Church. See, we believe nothing strange. This is what the Church has always held to. Um, this is where it says it in Scripture. This is where the Church Fathers uh, teach this as well, uh, and so forth. And so we're showing that 
that connection with the true Christian faith as it has been passed down, and and we have nothing strange. And so we're going to present that faith article by article uh, as to what we believe, and it will be self-revelatory um, where we disagree with what was being taught at the time or even still today. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, even thinking about why would this be important to think about? Why would this be important to talk about and reaffirm? I think so oftentimes, or I know that people have described like this, that uh, we talk about buffet theology of just pick and choosing. But, you know, oh, if you think about like a grocery store, too, you got all these aisles, you got all this. Uh, people would picture all the teachings of Scripture being just a whole bunch of items in a supermarket. You can walk up, you can grab this one. It's not going to affect anything else. You can grab this thing in aisle three, and that's not going to affect anything over there. And yet when we talk about doctrine and teaching of scripture being like a body, and we talk about Christ being the head, salvation by grace being the heart, you know, that everything is interconnected and everything, as soon as you, well, do you really need that pinky? I don't know. It might not affect as bad, but it's still going to affect, you know, and as soon as you start time out return, when's that going to be? How do we know when that's going to be? How should we prepare ourselves? What's, you know, like, or do we need to prepare ourselves? Like all those kind of questions that go into uh, how does scripture all fit together? And then you get into the stuff we joked around about at the beginning of uh, what part of the millennial thing are we in, you know? And uh, I know we'll get to that soon about talking about all that stuff. But as soon as you add all that complication of does it need to be that complicated? What does that even mean? How do we need to live our Christian life? You know, it all ends up tying together and being so vitally important, even though we don't always think about it being important because it's just, oh, it's just one thing that's going to happen at some point. And a lot of times this understanding of the return of Christ ends up being a forgotten article and a forgotten piece of faith in the church. And it doesn't get talked about. Uh, Christians often spend a lot of time talking about dying and going to heaven to be with Jesus. That's a good thing. But Scripture says that there's more. I had a professor in seminary, I believe we all did, who would look at us with his kind, gentle smile, and he'd say, you know, heaven is going to be great, but it's not the end of the world. And I really appreciated that line, uh, because it it calls me to continually remember dying and being with Jesus is good, but then he's going to come for the resurrection and the restoration of all things. And as good as as being with Jesus will be after I die, it'll be even better when Jesus raises my body and puts my soul and my body back together in his immortal, perfect state and calls me to continue to serve him. And there aren't even words to convey how wonderful that is. You, you, you uh, to give them credit, uh, you were citing there the Reverend Dr. Jeff Gibbs. Indeed, right? indeed, sorry. Uh, uh, which, I'll just share this, this fun little story because I think it ties in. Uh, he got to be my pastor for a time growing up here in St. Louis. And uh, he, he actually created a bit of a crisis for me because he so faithfully taught and preached, right, on on this, the Christian hope, as we have it in the creed. I mean, it's right there. He will come back to judge the living and the dead. And as the third article confesses, we look to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And that's, that's what we talk about in the creed. There's nothing about dying going to heaven in the creed. But as you said, we spent a lot of time in especially American Christianity, talking about dying and going to heaven as if that's our Christian hope. And so even as a young person, 
I was about in fifth grade. Um, I was hearing this preaching and teaching from uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, who was filling a vacancy at my congregation here in St. Louis. And, and I went into Sunday school, and I kept hearing the Sunday school teacher, wonderful Christian lady. You know, she was trying to be faithful and teach the Bible stories and things. But I kept hearing her talk about, you know, dying, going to heaven, dying, going to heaven. And so I kept asking, I said, you know, you keep talking about dying, going to heaven, but that's not what we say in the creed, and that's not what pastor keeps preaching. So which is it? Like, are we looking for, you know, Christ to return and, and the resurrection, or are we just looking to get to heaven, right? And uh, What happened when you got to first grade? Well, so <laughs> I actually got kicked out of Sunday school because she thought I was trying to be a pain, which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because then I started going to adult Bible class, and I got to see sit at the feet of, uh, you know, pastors and learn from them from a very young age, uh, which, uh, you know... Uh, Maybe is how I got to host a show on KFO today. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm intelligent, uh, but I'm just saying that uh, it was a great blessing to me looking back now that I had this benefit. But, you know, it can create this crisis even for a young Sunday school student and so forth. And so we need to be clear on what is it we're talking about here and what is it we're, we're saying? Because sometimes when I even tell that story and so forth and, you know, they say, so like, my grandma's not in heaven like that's not and it's like i'm not negating the place of heaven but we need to understand what is our actual christian hope right. and it's really dear christians please please hear us out on this we're not saying that heaven is bad or that the bible doesn't talk about heaven we're not saying anything like that at all instead we're saying this is not an either or we're not talking about either dying and going to heaven to be with jesus or the resurrection of all things and of all flesh but we are talking about both this is a case where both of these things are talked about in scripture and they are both wonderful but they come in order first that uh, unless jesus comes back first which would be a wonderful problem to have if it's even a problem uh but unless Jesus uh, doesn't come back first, we will die and we will go be with Christ. St. Paul writes in Philippians 1, that is far better than remaining here. But uh, even after death, if we die first, Christ will return. He will raise the all the dead and he will judge as a shepherd judges his sheep and his goats, as it talks about in Matthew 25. And both of these things will happen. There is, for us as Christians, no cause for fear. And and maybe that's a, an important thing to talk about is, uh, is this return of Christ law or gospel? Yeah, that that's where Did I was I hoping you were. Too far no, ahead? no, oh. I I was hoping you would jump us there because that's that's a question that that we definitely want to address, you know. And and I just want to cite for context of this discussion. I think you set it up really well. But we do confess, and I'm here. I'm just using the apology of the Augsburg Confession because it says again what the uh, Augsburg Confession says. Uh, he will raise up all the dead. And, and so we, we have this from Scripture and from other places in the Lutheran Confessions. That includes the ungodly as well. Everyone's going to get raised on that last day, all right? Um, and will give eternal life and eternal joys to the godly, but he will condemn the ungodly to endless punishment with the devil. So that's the context of what we're talking about is going to happen there on that judgment day. So let's talk about this. Is this law? Is this gospel? Yes. What is, oh, you're just going to take that way. Maybe Christ will come again before the end of the show, before we derail it or something like that. That would be really great. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. I would say that for, for Christians, this article about Christ's return for judgment is most certainly gospel. And a lot of times when, uh, when we go to the movies 
or watch television and it starts to talk about Armageddon or the end of the world. It looks like it's a scary thing and something that, that everybody should fear. But for Christians, there is no reason to fear the return of Christ and the end of the world and the restoration of all things. In fact, it's something that we should look forward to with longing. The Old Testament prays regularly, come Lord Jesus. Uh, and the New Testament, even in Revelation, concludes with come quickly Lord Jesus that the whole life of the church is looking forward to the day of Christ's return. And so the church longs and hopes and prays for for that. I know that uh, I, I love to get to preach the first Sunday in Advent every year. We read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, riding a donkey uh, to the shouts of Hosanna, save us, Lord. And uh, Usually the joke that I save for Bible study is every year we get to Advent 1 and I pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, especially before I have to hang the Christmas lights again. Uh, but in all seriousness, the life of the church is a continually continual prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know the world that we live in. You know our sinful flesh and our sinful nature. You know the work of the devil in the world among us. Come and indeed rescue us from this. Restore your creation to the very good state that it was created in and, and bring that back the way that you have planned. Uh, and so that is our continual cry. And it is a cry of the gospel, of the goodness and of the promise that Christ gives. And that's why it is so beautiful, because in Christ, there is nothing to fear. I mean, when we, uh, there's some of those phrases that we often talk about that, uh, like Christ is always with you or God always, uh, sees you and is always with you, you know, that, yeah, if you are living in sin and you are rebellious, then yeah, that is a fearful thing to think that the all powerful God is always watching you and you know, that kind of thing. But when you are in Christ, that's a beautiful thing that he is always with you, that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And on that last day, he will come back to be with us and bring us to him himself. And so uh, when we talk about all that now and not yet stuff that Christ came in the flesh and we get to Advent and that's like what we're totally living in is the now not yet stuff of we're looking forward to celebrating Christ's birth, what happened, what we live in now. And yet we look forward to that final day when he returns and everything, all that sin is wiped away and we are made right with him. Uh, well, we are uh, resurrected on that last day and live with him without sin or pain or suffering or all that stuff. I think the key here is distinction, distinguishing between law and gospel and mm -hmm. life here and life on that last day, right? There's there's a theologian we talk a lot about on this show that writes something about this. Uh, I think his name is C.F.W. Walther, right? The right distinction of law and gospel. Who? Right, yeah, exactly. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but this is really quite key, right? And, and this is something that we Lutherans do quite well. And, and I think it's present right here in the confessions uh, because it's just simply how we operate. It's how Scripture operates. And so we, we have to talk about the distinction of law and gospel, not the separation of it. And sometimes that's a temptation is when we say distinction, we think, you know, oh, we separate it, you know, only law to some and only gospel to others. We're, we're forbidden to separate it. All right. In this world, the heathen and the Christian, all right, the unbelievers and those who believe in Christ all need to hear law and gospel, right? Uh, everyone should repent under the law 
for the forgiveness of sins by faith in the gospel. All right. That's, that's how they, they interrelate to one another. And so we do need to distinguish them. And by distinguishing them, it, it, it forbids us from talking about it, you know, in a separation of where, you know, oh, you stand condemned now, right? Uh, well, we all stand condemned under the law, but it should lead us to faith in Christ. Um, but on the last day then, right? That That's life in this world. We need law and gospel life in this world. Um, and so it is a yes, right? This this teaching of Christ coming again for the judgment is law and gospel. Repent of your sins so that you believe in the gospel, right? Because on the last day, there will be a separation. And Jesus talks about this, right? He separates the sheep from the goats, right? There's very clearly a separation that goes on, and only Christ will do that, right? And so there, um, you know, we talk about the right distinction of law and gospel now that leads us to uh, how we are saved then in Christ by the gospel on the last day when there is a separation, because there the law will condemn those who have lived without faith in Christ. And uh, for those who are saved, uh, it is by faith in the gospel, right? And that's, that's how the separation plays out in the last day. With about a minute before break, any thoughts on that? So many people don't have this kind of teaching at all in their Christian background. I know we're going to talk more after the break about how it's talked about today. But so oftentimes this is not talked about. So death is the end of the story. And so there there has to be this peace. And so, so much in Scripture that talks about the last day is then applied to heaven, the intermediary state, all this stuff. And when my grandfather passed away, I was right in the middle of seminary. I had just had Dr. Gibbs's class where we talked about all this kind of stuff. And they had a um, a little session of um of I'm talking hold on what is it called a uh, little celebration thing and everyone was allowed to say something I talked about that and there was people coming up like man I had never heard that before like that we're gonna come back from the dead and we're gonna all be together and this isn't the end and it's like I was surprised that people hadn't I knew I was surprised I hadn't you know but just the beauty of what that is. Yeah, so this is the connection then of, you know, why we need to rightly distinguish for life in this world so that we can have hope for that day that is surely coming. And so as we transition to that after the break, please be sure to come on back. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. 
Last week for Insight Wednesday Law and Gospel, we chose to respond to a note received from one of our listeners. You also can email us at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com for us to respond on the next Law and Gospel. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Millions of Bibles are published each year for children in all sizes, shapes, and colors, and in a variety of translations. But perhaps none more interesting than the hieroglyphic Bibles of the 18th century, popular both in America and in Great Britain. The Bibles used interspersed images to represent words and ideas to make memorization and engagement with the Bible more appealing to children. Full-text versions printed at the bottom of the page assured that the images were understandable. Often they included information on important figures in the Bible. Displayed on the History of the Bible floor at Museum of the Bible, these hieroglyphic texts are examples of yet another innovative way to engage with the Bible over the centuries. Engage with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters with Pastor Merritt Dembski, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself as your host, Pastor Sean Smith. We've been talking today about Article 17 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We actually read the Augsburg Confession. We also read the Confutation, the Roman Catholic Response, and uh, also the Apology as we continue to work through that here. And we're talking about of the return of Christ, this article. And we've been talking about in the first half of the show about how God offers us a sure and certain hope that Jesus will return and he'll raise up all the dead and give us and all believers eternal life, right? Yet we sometimes also live in fear of what's going to come, you know, and, and that can, you know, St. Paul certainly talks about this, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't live as those who have no hope, but there are those who have no hope, right? Because there will also be condemnation for those who don't have faith. And so we should take comfort in the gospel that God's forgiveness is his gift to us, that we may have confidence to stand before him on that day of judgment. And, and that's our sure and certain hope of what's to come. And so we, we've been talking about this understanding in long gospel, and then also we're shifting into um, kind of where we're going to spend the last half of the show then is talking about how do we talk about this in the church today? Is it talked about in the church today? And we kind of gave some anecdotes uh, beforehand and so forth, but uh, uh, that's where I want to spend the last half of this show. And so, you know, as we talk about the return of Christ um in the church today, I think kind of the first point uh, that all of us in kind of working up for this show, uh, and especially Pastor Ill, so I'm going to throw this to you. Uh, you have worked up this point that there's 
kind of a silence, a, a big vacuum on this issue as a whole. So talk talk a little bit about that. Sure. There's a couple of different ways that the church doesn't talk about the return of Christ. And one of those ways is simply to really emphasize dying and going to heaven to be with Jesus. Once again, that's a good thing, but it's not the end. It's not the completion and the fulfillment of the Christian hope that is revealed in the restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, But I think there's also a strong push in especially American Christianity these days to talk about how the restoration of creation has already begun now and how Christians need to go about uh, making the world a better place and restoring the world in the here and now, uh, bringing this reign of Christ at the last days into fruition now, like, like we can do that. And that's a very well-intentioned thing to to live in love and in peace and in harmony to indeed do those very things that Christ has promised to do to love those who need to be loved the poor the downtrodden the widows and the orphans and uh, to care for our neighbors to pray for our enemies these are certainly all commands of God but they don't bring about the end of the world and there is not a way that we can work hard enough to bring about this reign of Christ on earth all by ourselves. But sometimes we get so invested in doing those things that Christ has called us to do that we think that we can bring about the reign of Christ here and now without Christ actually coming back. And so we focus on what we're doing and not on the importance of Christ returning to reign and to rule. And and I think there's even a bit of a distinction in, in this you know, kind of approach that you were just talking about there. I think that there are those who talk in those very specific terms of, uh, you know, w- by certain things, we can bring about the return of Christ. You know, that, that uh, I, I live in uh, Southern Illinois, as we all do, we live in Southern Illinois, but the part of Sil- Southern Illinois I live in is in uh, Randolph County, and they have the, the county journal uh, that is there. And there's, uh, you know, in the... Uh, letters to the editors section there's this one pastor uh quote unquote pastor all right that likes to write in um with letters to the editor talking about how because certain things with Israel are going on in the politics of America and things like that, that these are signs that the return of Christ is imminent and things like that. Um, and so we certainly do have certain theological traditions that talk very specifically in that. Then I think we have on the other end too, what you were also talking about there is that we have um, maybe maybe not the specific talk of by doing these things, we bring about the return of Christ, but it, sometimes this... it sounds more like we live like Christ is reigning now and, and we talk that way, but don't ever talk about Christ returning. And and that's right. what I don't want to lose. Yeah. Because we, we kind of have this sense that, you know, we should have peace in this world. Right. But because of sin, we don't. And so there's this kind of mentality that permeates this other group of Christians that stops talking about the return of Christ. And so that's the silence issue, right? Uh, and so we'll get back to the, the politics bringing about the specific return of Christ, that theology that's sometimes at work. But this silence issue where it's like we can achieve peace here in this life if we all just get on board and do these things. And here is a point where, kind of as we talked about in the first half of the show, sometimes we see in the um, 
Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, where we say, yeah, there's agreement in the church uh, and with the Roman Catholic Church uh, uh, teachings and so forth. But as you work out the finer details, maybe not. This is one where I'd say maybe, you know, while we definitely affirm the teaching with them and so forth, and I don't want to lose that, um, this is maybe one of those finer points because of the whole nature of good works, which will flow forth. And this comes back forward from of civil order, right, which we talked about on the show last week, right, as well. And so, uh, you know, this this idea that by the way that we live, the things that we do, that we can achieve peace in this world um, by those sorts of things, it's a way of talking about, you know, this, this peace that comes at the end times when Christ returns uh, without ever talking about Christ returning. So I think that's the silent point that you're talking about. I didn't really have anything specifically to add. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I that. pointed to you because <laughs> it fine. looked like you had a, a, a burst of brilliance and no. <laughs> nope. And I don't even see someone behind me. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a point where I think we can also talk about, it's a, a misunderstanding of the gospel. Uh, in part because if we can talk about the reign of Christ on earth even before Christ returns or without Christ's return, we don't have to get into those very scary words for for non-believers that they will be raised and that they will be judged. And Christians like to be nice. I like to be nice, but scripture is very clear about the judgment that comes for those who die without faith and for those who live without faith. And trying to get around those harsh words by talking about the the reign and the the kinging of Christ without his return isn't a good way to go about that and i think that's part of the motive for why christians sometimes will talk that way because it keeps them from having to talk about that very harsh judgment that christ has uh, that christ has prophesied and talks about coming at his return. Yeah, I think it really is connected with this good works issue that we'll definitely still yet get even deeper into in in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. But uh, you're right, you know, when we confuse law gospel, right, the law should be preached to lead us to repentance and faith, right, uh, in that gospel. Um, and, and, And we can't really get around that. And then the irony is, is that the good works that flow forth from that faith, if we start then talking about those things as if they give us some sort of assurance of how we'll stand on that judgment day, then we take the whole teaching and just turn it straight into law. And there is no gospel. And it just... This is, you should never confuse law gospel, right? It's like confusing a cat with a skunk. It's not going to turn out pretty for you. <laughs> well, and it's and it seems like we've got this utopian ideal that people have always talked about, how we can change the world, and if we can just do stuff perfectly, it'll be, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And again, it's more law, 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 and things that you have to do to create this utopian society. And we keep on seeing again and again that it fails, and it fails, and it fails, you know, and yet Christianity again gets hijacked to create this utopian society does that mean we should not love and help and care and support no absolutely not we do that we love and we care and we support but we acknowledge the fact that we will always have the hungry and the poor around us until christ returns we acknowledge the fact that we will not make a perfect world but in this broken and sinful world we will love and we will care and support. <laughs> and I think it's interesting. You, you you mentioned, you know, we try to create these utopian communities and so forth. And that's one of the groups that we specifically condemn in the Augsburg Confession. And the confutation says, yep, you're right in condemning 
them. And that's the group we call the Anabaptists, which we've talked about on this show. And you kind of have this, this broad-ranging spectrum, uh, but specifically, probably where we would see this most present still today are in the Amish, the Mennonite communities, which very intentionally set up these separate communities to live in a separate way, um, you know, where they, they try to live very piously and so forth. And it's all flowing forth from this kind of doctrine. Now, they, they do it kind of poorly today. I, I live around some of them, and it's like they cheat, you know, they, they say they won't drive cars or use mechanized machinery and so forth uh, uh, as part of living in this community, but then they drive their tractors down the road and into town and things, and it's like, okay, you're cheating. Is you know, we, we always try to find a way to justify ourselves, but their theology supports this kind of living, you know, in this separate community uh, so that they can, you know, and yet it's not bad, again, to have a community of believers, and it's not bad yeah. to live piously and all those kind of things, but the idea that by doing that, either A, we will bring Christ back, or B, we'll make this world perfect, both of those fall off either side of the horse. And I think that there are a number of ways that we see uh, well-intentioned, but but unfortunately wrong desires to bring Christ back. Like there's a, a checklist or a litmus a litmus list of of things that have to be done before Jesus can come back, uh, and maybe that's a maybe this is a good time to switch from the way that the church doesn't speak about the return of Christ to the way that sometimes the American church, especially, talks about the return of Christ in ways that the Bible doesn't really always talk. Yeah, certainly. So I, I, this would definitely be the other side of what we we're distinguishing there, where. Very specifically in their doctrine, some churches, and again, this is the Anabaptists, um, you know, the, the, the Amish, the Mennonites, but can even include more broadly, uh, some that, that fit in under non-denominationalism in the United States, uh, Baptist theologies and things like that. Some evangelicals, some, ev- yeah some evangelicals and so forth where they talk about this you know specific reign of a thousand years you know we'll kind of throw some terms out here we're not going to get into real deep specifics on these um, but uh, you know millennialism is kind of one of these teachings here and, and and Pastor Dembski I believe you actually come from one of these traditions originally growing up that kind of had these teachings and so forth mm-hmm. so why don't you go ahead and start us off you know kind of what's on that side of the spectrum where in the specific doctrines they talk about bringing about the return of Christ through these things yeah so I, I grew up Assemblies of God, uh, going to an Assemblies of God church, um, though I went to other churches and stuff, I, I always grew up kind of defining myself as non-denominational, but uh, the more I study, the more it's like, that doesn't exist, you know? <laughs> and even, if nothing else, you're a denomination of yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. In the one holy Christian apostolic church, there's me. <laughs> you know, like, that's always the funny thing. But um, with, uh, like, uh, the, the whole millennial thing, Assemblies of God in particular, when I got older, I... Uh, became an official member and then like six months later became Lutheran, which was kind of funny that like right after I became a member, I ended up leaving and going and becoming Lutheran. Thanks be um, to God. Yeah. Praise be God. Um, and in here, can I ahead. interrupt with a quick question? No, uh, please. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, can you help me understand? We've been using this word millennial uh, and millennialism quite a bit, but what about what about this idea of the rapture? And I hear a lot of people talking about the end of the world and the the return of Christ uh, with this rapture language. How does uh, millennialism and the rapture fit together? That's why I said no. 
Because that was my next take. Oh, <laughs> in which case, Pastor Dembski, continue. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. It wasn't actually the next thing, okay. but <laughs> it's soon to come. <laughs> um, I was going to say that um, the the millennialism stuff. We'll get to that in just a moment. That um, like uh, Pastor Smith said a moment ago, that some churches like hang their hat on end times theology, and um, like uh, Assemblies of God, it's kind of funny. Kind of gathered itself to get away from all the doctrinal divisions and stuff. Historically, that it was Christians that came together. They were sick of all the, the strictness of doctrine and teaching. They wanted to come together. And so people gathered together and there was people like, oh man, that's great. Cause I never thought Jesus was God. And it was like, well, hold on now. We, we, we all have to agree on that. Okay. It's like, well, I, I don't think he's like the one true God. This Trinity stuff's kind of, no, we gotta, we gotta agree on that too. So then you get to the 16 fundamental truths. You get to the 16 things you have to agree with in order to be. So the whole point is, of. is we don't need doctrine. Oh, wait, wait, maybe we do. Yeah. These 16. <laughs> okay. And, uh, when you look at the, the official website, and stuff, it says uh, these are non-negotiable tenets of faith that all uh, Assemblies of God churches adhere to. Four of these, salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the second coming of Christ are considered cardinal doctrines which are essential to the church's core mission of reaching the world for Christ. So as we get into the millennial stuff, all of a sudden this becomes huge because what do you believe about this and can you be a part of this? Um, While there are some uh, theologians down through history that talk a little bit about millennium and what the revelation chapter 20 talks about the thousand year reign. It's like, okay, how do we handle this thousand years? How do we deal with this millennial millennium? And, um, one of the things that really grew up in American Christianity was this guy named Darby in the early 1800s that, uh, came up with, uh, I'm going to use a big word and I'm not even going to define it extensively dispensational premillennialism because my brain already exploded. But, um, you know, the, he comes up with this, uh, this idea that there's, there's a, a time when uh, there's different dispensations. You've got this time in the beginning, and then you get this time with Abraham, and then with this person, and then you get the age of Israel, and then the age of the church, and then you get the age when Christ comes in, and you have this very strict distinction of all these times that exist. And that kind of grows a little bit in Ireland and England, but then he gets referenced in the Schofield Study Bible in the early 1900s, and it catches fire in America. People being like, oh man, we got to figure out. We And you start ended up having all these reading of signs in the world and a very literalistic reading of scripture to try to figure out when is what going to happen which is funny because then every time someone says it's going to happen this day, you know, it's not going to happen that day because it's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. Right. And yet um, uh, it, it starts to get talked about more and discussed more. And so you get to the point of realizing, wait, uh, genres like you have genres and movies, you know, and you go to a, a, a romantic comedy, you know what to expect. And it's probably not going to involve aliens or zombies, right? It's probably going to involve like, Although people. it gets a little confusing these days. Sometimes they work those things. That into is these, true. That know? is true. But you know, you've got genres and in scripture, you have the same thing. You have historical books, you have prophetic books, you have epistles, you have gospels, you have all these things that are writ- written in a specific way and read in a specific way. And with that being totally ignored and just being very specific, literal Pluralism, you know, then you run into all this millennialism. So you end up having a, you end up having historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, and you have these. Okay, are, is this rapture thing, which we're going to get to that now, going to happen? When is that going to happen? And it's from another misreading of scripture that that whole thing comes out. But um, uh, you get. Uh, this idea that, okay, is Jesus going to come and take us first 
and then we'll be with him for a thousand years and other people are going to try to figure out who Jesus is while all the Christians are gone and then he'll come back and reign or is he going to come to is he going to uh, come and reign for a thousand years and then let the devil out for a thousand years again and then is he going to like take us into eternity and like all these different timelines and trying to figure out and part of that millennialism involves this idea of rapture you have the the um uh, the snatching up, right? Right, the snatching up of there will be two people in the field and one will be gone and one will remain. And yet, uh, I think it was Pastor Wolf Mueller on one of his podcasts that he pointed out that when you read the context of it, the one that remains is actually the the one that's saved in the context of what's being said. <laughs> you know, like the, the one that remains is the, and yet in the reading for many people, like the whole Left Behind series is all built into this millennialism, post-millennial stuff. Um uh, am I am I correct in saying that if we were to term, term, uh, give ourselves one of these titles, we would be amillennial? We just don't talk about a specific timeline. We talk about this being the millennium, Christ reigning now and looking forward to that last day. Um, that uh, we don't get into all the timelines and stuff. We acknowledge that Christ will return and we don't know when that'll be. But when he comes, we're going to know it. And it's not going to be the secret return. It's not going to be like Christians are going to be gone and then clothes are going to be laying there and we're going to be wondering what happened to someone. And it ends up being so much simpler. <laughs> you know, uh, what were you going to say, Pastor Um I think that it, I, I would, I, uh, when we read Revelation, we see a lot of signs and symbols and that thousand years in the book of Revelation, like many things um, in Revelation, is simply a symbol of the reign of Christ that will be long lasting and that reign of Christ has already begun. Uh, and so dear Christian, as you're, as you're hearing this, you are living now in the reign of Christ. Christ is reigning from heaven where he sits and rules at the right hand of God, the father. And from there, he isn't far away. He isn't ignoring you. He hasn't given up on you. He continues to bring you his promises and he continues to be your Lord and your savior. The day will come when he will, though, return and he will be present with us as he puts creation back together again, as he puts bodies and souls back together again, when he removes that covering of death that is cast over all peoples. And that is a wonderful promise to look forward to. But as of right now, we are living in that thousand year reign of Christ, which is symbolic, like so many things in the book of Revelation are symbolic. Uh, I know sometimes I have Christians come up to me and they say, well, I, I read the book of Revelation literally. And some days when I'm feeling a little bit snarky, I say, so do I. On the Lord's Day, when John was in the Spirit, he had a vision. And here's the stuff that he saw in the vision. And a lot of those things are symbolic. I remember, um, I remember hearing a distinction of we read things appropriately, not like strictly the whole Bible is literal or the whole Bible is metaphorical. You have these genres and you have these specific things. And here, John had a vision. And here's what was in his vision. And, and biblical visions are often symbolic. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah, our hymnody, our prayers in the in the church and so forth speak of these two. And, and you know, uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word is one of the hymns that's it's number two on my all-time favorite list. And uh, it talks about in these gray and latter days, you know, and so forth. And yeah, that that we are living in those. And if you're looking for signs, the signs are all around you, right? There are tragedies, there are tribulations, there's sin all abounding and so forth. A, a couple months ago, I got to be on the uh, Sharper Iron, another podcast and show here on KFUO with uh, Pastor 
Pastor Fisk, and we were talking about the Matthew text uh, where Jesus is talking about these. And, and the distinction we like to make about that is that you, you even see this there where he talks about, you know, in those days versus in that day. And so even Jesus himself is talking about, you know, in those days, which his immediate context is the destruction of Jerusalem, what happens around 70 AD. And that's kind of a microcosm, a, a sign of being in the end times. You know, these, these things, these terrible tragedies happen all around us, right? We don't have peace in this world. Repent. Let it lead you to repentance and faith because that day, the return of Christ is surely coming. So, yes, the signs are all around us, but it's not like, you know, in certain things. And so to get back to like the county journal uh, newspaper that I read and so forth and this nonsense, you know, he's on this kick now where he likes to write in. And by the way, they need to publish my articles that I write to the editor in response to this guy. Right. But he, he likes to talk about. You know, uh, the, you know, the trump for God will sound from Israel, and this is the sign of the return of Christ, and so forth. And so, you know, because President Trump declared that Israel is now the capital, right, and 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 so forth again. That uh, you know, then then the Jerusalem is the capital. Yeah, of Israel? sorry, that yeah. Jerusalem is capital of Israel, and so forth. That this legitimizes it, and this this will bring about the return of Christ. And it's like you idiot. <laughs> it's like well, you just don't get it, right? And to that to that point, that falls into all this millennialism stuff um, that we had started talking about before of things we have to do to ensure that Christ can return. Um, that we have to make sure that. Um, that uh that the Jerusalem is now the the capital and all this kind of stuff and i remember uh very what we we had textual study just before this pastor and you said i had spatial memory is that what you said yeah yeah so like i remember very vividly sitting in a certain pew in my church growing up and having a guest pastor come and talk for 40 minutes or whatever you know a, a good chunk of time about um about how we need to make sure that there's at least a hundred thousand Jews in Israel, because once we can get the 100,000 or maybe 200,000 or whatever the number was, they said, then we'll know that Christ can return. So we have to be making sure that this happens. And, and, uh, near the end, uh, of my grandfather's life, I know that he had watched a lot of the, the Christian television that exists. And, um, he had bought, uh, uh, what's it called? palm trees for Israel, you know, and, and some of those kind of things like to build up Israel so that Israel can grow to its glory. And so Christ can return as a result of it, you know? And so you see this type of teaching everywhere. And if you haven't, now that you've heard it, you're going to hear it everywhere. Cause it's just like when you don't hear a word and then you hear a word and then everyone uses it, you're going to walk around and you're going to pick up a book and be like, I never even realized walking into Hobby Lobby that half these books are about this. I never realized that half of these things are about all of this stuff that we're talking about today about how, what do we have to do to ensure that Christ can return? Or what are the signs that we can read to see that, um, you know, you talked about the, the pastor that talks about, uh, literally trying to work the president into the old Testament prophecies and stuff. And you hear that all the time as well. You know, yeah, I mean, and, it definitely yeah. plays out in American evangelicalism, this whole idea that, you know, if we can get America to be a Christian, a nation, right, that this will somehow bring about the return of Christ or, you know, 
I mean, to be faithful Christians and good stewards of whatever God has given us in this world, right, whether that be in the government or in our business life or in our uh, homes and things of that nature, that should be the goal of the Christian life by faith in Christ, right? Um, but when you start making that move to say that, you know, when we do these things that Christ will come back then, you know, it's like, well, now you're you're trying to say, I can control God, which is just a ridiculous way, but when it, it sometimes need to, needs to be boiled down to that simple. It calls me back to Job. And when Job asks God, why are you allowing this suffering? Where are you, essentially? Uh, God speaks to him and he says, he says, gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And he goes on for, for two and a half chapters to question Job. Where were you when I essentially created the heavens and the earth? God cannot be controlled and we don't try to. But instead, our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's coming back. Indeed, in these last days, as the world is passing away, the church makes its confession in the expectation of the imminent return of our Lord. That's what we seek to do here on Concord Matters. So thanks for stopping by today. Until next time, keep confessing, church.